259, Jesus saves. 259, Jesus saves. Sister Owens, and she taught a Methodist Episcopal Sunday School class for over 50 years. And she wrote this hymn for her Sunday School class, a special missions emphasis that they had. And and I think about just faithful children of God that just serve the Lord. You think 50 years of teaching the same Sunday School class, that's faithfulness, folks. And I look out here at the congregation of Temple, and I see people just like that. God bless you. May your tribe increase. That challenges and encourages all of us to be faithful for the Lord. Why? We're singing about it right here, because Jesus saves. Let's sing that second verse.
211. Still a little bit new for us. Remember, ladies only on that third line, ladies only, and then we'll all pick up again from there. Hallelujah for the cross. last hymn, then you're awake and you're ready for the next hymn. You're ready to listen to announcements. You're ready for preaching. 
You're ready for your nap this afternoon. (laughs) I love that hymn. That's a hard one to sing. I mean, if I can hit those high notes just by simply not caring what you think, then uh, you can hit them too. But uh, hallelujah for the cross. Announcement-wise, first of all, uh, we uh, would love to give you a Bible reading certificate if you read through your Bible uh, last year in its entirety. Please let Christina know. And um, we will get those uh, certificates for you here in the very near future. And then uh, for announcements today, uh, first of all, you noticed here on your handout today that 5.30 is the kids' choir that will be starting up. And that is, uh, this particular choir is for grades uh, 1 through 6, and uh, it meets at 5.30 in the chapel. It'll end just a little bit after 6, and uh, they'll be bringing your kids into the service. And masks are not required. Use at your discretion. And so not required, but I would say based on the way things are going right now in our county, uh, probably recommended, but once again, that is up to you as parents. And then uh, also our service will be this evening at 6 o'clock. Uh, we're starting back up, and I know in the midst of all of the COVID numbers going pretty crazy right now, uh, I do believe that the Lord wants us to get back on track and uh, and get our Sunday evening services going. So come back and join us this evening uh, for some more Bible preaching and teaching. Wednesday at 7 is our Bible study. We're in the book of Proverbs, and then, of course, Master Club and Youth Group meets on Wednesday night. And then Saturday, weather permitting, everything will be regular schedule. Uh, noon is our street ministry. And then a ladies' prayer meeting at 7, men's prayer meeting at 8. Had some really, really good prayer meetings uh, yesterday evening. Had some folks that, uh, that came in response to, um, uh, to my pastoral challenge and what I believe is the direction and vision that the Holy Spirit is leading us. And so uh, please uh, make it. Uh, make it a matter of prayer to come to prayer. And uh, I know I challenged the men last night to daily pray for our prayer meeting, uh, that the Lord would meet with us, that uh, it would uh, be, we would see the benefit of prayer in our personal lives as well as in our church. So many needs that need to be prayed for. And uh, speaking of which, um, I, and, and listen, I apologize, there's no easy way to say this. If you did not get the announcement through our prayer chain this past week, um, it, it is very sad to inform you that our dear sister, Sandra Stafford, went home to be with the Lord this past Thursday. And uh, it was definitely unexpected, even though she had recently been diagnosed with uh, cancer, uh, had some complications, and just a lot of little things just piled up. And uh, anyhow, uh, we are very, very sad. Uh, to be quite honest with you, still in shock. The funeral service will be on Wednesday. Uh, the Let me make sure I get this right. The visitation will be here at the church at 10. The funeral service will be at 11. And so please pray for her family, her brother Tom, as well as uh, the, the young lady that we have prayed for for many years, little Addie. I'm praying that she'll be able to come to the funeral service, so please pray for uh, for that circumstance that the Lord would work in it, and um, also I know it would be a blessing to um, to all of the friends and loved ones if you could come to the service as well. And then as far as, you know, family, everybody knows how close that Sister Dawn was to Miss Sandra, and I know that she's hurting right now uh, just like she was a family member, and so please pray for her as well. 
All right, I think I got all of my announcements taken care of. Let's go ahead and sing our last hymn on the back of your handout. Oh, I want to see him. Let's all stand. As I journey through the land, singing as I go, pointing souls to Calvary through the crimson flow, many arrows pierced my soul from without within. I'm no ruler 
But Jesus walks right beside me Fights my battles and guides me Yes, he loves me as small as I am Sometimes it's hard to walk in his footsteps But when I stumble, he understands He picks me up, wipes off my sins Puts me on my feet again Yes, he loves me as small as I am He picks me up, wipes off my sins Puts me on my feet again Yes, he loves me as small as I am My Savior loves me as small as I am Praise the Lord. I enjoyed that. That was certainly a blessing. Let's take our Bibles, go to 2 Corinthians chapter number 8. I was preaching last week, I think it was last week, and I was talking about what some of the uh, internet has to say about uh, how to have a successful church. And uh, one of the points was preach shorter sermons. And one of our young people, whom I love dearly, made a statement, said, is that why we don't have a big church preacher? <laughs> well, could be. It's possible. <laughs> could be some other reasons. I don't know. I don't really, don't, uh, really don't worry about it. But I will say this. I, I don't think that I have... I think that I've always preached until I got done. So, yeah, that's all I can do. So, am I going to preach short today? No, I am not. Because every time I say yes that I am, I do just the opposite. So maybe that'll work in the opposite here today. But uh, anyhow, let's take a look at our text here. Second Corinthians chapter number 8 and verse number 1. Moreover, brethren, we do you to wit of the grace of God bestowed on the churches of Macedonia. How that in a great trial of affliction, the abundance of their joy and their deep poverty abounded unto the riches of their liberality. Now, when you read verse number two, you'd have to say this, that doesn't make any sense. They're, they're being very liberal, but yet it says here they've got poverty. They, they don't have much, but they're, they're giving a lot. And then he says, verse number three, for to their power, I bear record and yea, beyond their power, they were willing of themselves. I guess verse number three explains the, um, the perplexity of verse number two. And then verse number four says, praying us with much entreaty that we would receive the gift and take upon us the fellowship of the ministering to the saints. And this they did, not as we hoped, but first gave their own selves to the Lord and unto us by the will of God. Skip over now to chapter number nine and verse number six. Chapter 9, verse number 6, But this I say, He which soweth sparingly shall reap also sparingly, and he which soweth bountifully shall reap also bountifully. Every man, according as he purposeth in his heart, so let him give, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loveth a cheerful giver. I want to preach this morning on the topic, God loves a cheerful giver. Let's pray. Father, we ask your blessings upon this time together. We pray that you would lead us and guide us. 
We pray for the presence and manifestation of the Holy Spirit, speaking to our hearts, instructing us, challenging us, motivating us, correcting us. We pray that the Holy Spirit would do your work here today and use the message for your glory and your honor. Lord, we thank you for the truth of the Word of God, and we just pray that you would help us to present it faithfully here today, to communicate clearly. And Lord, I, I can't know the needs of every heart here today, and Lord, I certainly, if I knew those needs, I couldn't, uh, I couldn't meet those needs. But I know that you can, and I pray that our hearts would be open to listen to you, uh, to do whatever you, you would have us to do. We pray for this in Jesus' name. Amen. So I know from experience that probably many of you are cringing right now, thinking that we're going to be talking about money. Well, not necessarily. Uh, This isn't a a sermon about money. But I will say this, there's no shame in the preacher talking about money. I realize that there are preachers today that are shameful when it comes to talking about money because they make it all about money. And in many cases, the too many preachers today are self-serving when it comes to their theology regarding uh, the dollar bill. The, uh, the, the, um, uh, oh, I just lost my terminology. The uh, prosperity gospel. Well, if you'll just give to this ministry, then God will bless you and so forth. And we just read in the Word of God that God loves a cheerful giver, we, we read that if we sow sparingly, we're going to reap sparingly. So regardless of who has misrepresented that passage, regardless of whether I do an adequate job in presenting this truth to you here today, set all of that aside, the bottom line is it's the absolute truth that God gives in response to our giving and that He always blesses us and gives us more than what we ever could give to Him. So there's no shame in talking about money because the Bible talks about it often. Way more than just tithing and all of the things that are traditional in Christian culture and all of the things that are, whether they are represented accurately or misrepresented, the Bible says a lot about money. But that's not what we're talking about here today. Now, by way of introduction, there are basically three categories of believers. And and you may have areas in your life where you fit in one of these categories and other areas where you fit in another category. You may be 50-50 in one of these categories and and, uh, 50% in the other category. And so all of these lines of these categories aren't just crisp, clear lines. But there are three, what I believe, designations that we could classify every single Christian that's here today. Number one, uh, you're perhaps the taker. That's the person that views the things of God, that views church. Whenever they show up at church, they're takers. They get whatever the church has to offer them. Maybe it's a motivational speech. Maybe it's just kind of paying penance by being there. Uh, maybe it's just the, the social aspect or the family aspect that, hey, I don't want my family to think that I'm a bad person, so I'm going to make sure that I go to church. I can check that off of my list. There's no heart. 
There's no giving of self. It's just simply, I'm here to see what you've got for me, and that's pretty much all that they do. The second category is the self-sufficient. The self-sufficient is the person that maybe isn't just a taker. They, they don't necessarily want anything from anyone else, but they're self-sufficient. It's like, I can take care of me. And typically the self-sufficient will be part of a church, but they just kind of pick and choose the things that they get involved in. They don't, you know, God forbid that they would get involved in everything because after all, they don't need everything. They're self-sufficient. I guess what I'm trying to say is they're not like the taker. They're not a drain on the spiritual collective battery of the church, but you'd have to say that they pretty much do their own thing. They're not a drain, but they're certainly not a charge either. And then you have the third category, and that is the giver. The giver is, I had to, I had to put a battery charger on my pickup just the other day. I know I've told you about this before that it's got just a slow drain on the battery, and uh, I, I thought that I caught it in time. Normally, it'll go about at least two weeks without me cranking it up, and it had been about two weeks since I'd cranked it up, but I went out there, and the cold weather certainly magnified it. And boy, it almost would turn over. You know how it goes, <laughs> but it just wouldn't do it, so I put the charger on it. I only had to charge it two amps for about an hour, and and it started right up. But something was draining that battery, and I had to put a charger on that in order to give it some power, to give it the juice that it needed. And you know what? There are some believers that I know that when my spiritual battery has been drained, I can get around some Christians, and boy, I can I can walk away from a conversation just being around them, and I can walk away and feel, hey, I just got a good charge in my spiritual battery. They didn't drain me, they pumped me up. And you know, givers, I think that everyone knows that God wants all of us to be in this third category. That's the best category. And and you know what, there are more resources that God gives that we are supposed to be good stewards of, other than just money. It seems like money always draws center stage, but, you know, there are time, talents, and treasures, all three of those T's. Not to mention, I would have to say that our mental and our emotional capacities are all resources. You know, uh, there are some people that have toxic relationships in their lives, And you know as well as I do, you may have a toxic relationship that you kind of have an obligation. It's family or it's somebody that, you know, it wouldn't be right for you to just totally ostracize yourself from them. And so you have to maintain that relationship. But the fact of the matter is, is the relationship is somewhat toxic. And if you spend 30 minutes on the phone with this certain someone, or if you have to be around them for any length of time whatsoever, you can just, you can just see the amp meter on your spiritual, emotional, and mental battery just go, kind of like, kind of like our gas gauge does today. You ever notice that? 
Uh, of course, not as bad as it used to be, thanks to electric cars, if you have one. And you can have mine if you want it, because I plan on sticking to good old fossil fuel as long as I can. Amen? I, I don't know what to think about all that, but I don't want to get sidetracked on that. Toxic relationships can use up your mental en- energy. And if you're not careful, if you don't manage those things that drain your battery, if you're not careful, you won't have the mental or emotional energy left to do the things that God would have you to do. And and wouldn't you agree that if anything gets in the way of us being what God wants us to be for His glory and honor, then that thing can indeed become an idol. It becomes something that, hey, that's higher priority than God. I would say to all of us that we need to be good givers, but we always need to remember that God should come first because... Well, because he's God. Can you think of many things in today's culture, as well as Christianity, that cultivates that third category of givers? You know, the modern church today is anything but a cultivator of a giving mentality. You know, it used to be that God's people would get together, and it may not be a big meeting. In fact, do you know the reality of it is, is that in the early church, I'm not talking about the church at Jerusalem where 5,000 were saved, and, and I don't know if all 5,000 were gathering all at the same place at the same time. The Holy Spirit doesn't reveal that to us, and I would imagine that probably back in those days, 5,000 gathering in one place, that might have drawn a lot of it, uh, not wanted attention and persecution. So I don't know exactly how they carried about their fellowship and their assembling, but there were definitely many times without throughout church history where a gathering of the size that we have here today would be considered a huge gathering. But the reality of it is, is that the size of the gathering is not what God is looking for. He's looking at the heart of the gathering, and today's Christianity is filled with large mega ministries, but it used to be that you'd just have a handful of people that would gather in somebody's home, and can't you imagine that some of those old saints of God during times of persecution, when they go through their day-to-day life, and they're out there witnessing, telling people about Jesus Christ, knowing that they are endangering their lives and their families just to try to get the gospel to someone. Don't you know that that is a drain on their battery? And you know what? When they would come together for a gathering, they were looking for God to charge their spiritual battery. And can't you imagine that when they would gather together in a dear saint's living room, a dozen, maybe 15. Can you imagine what those hymns that they would sing, what they must have sounded like? You know, no piano, no organ, maybe not even any instruments whatsoever. But they would get together, and don't you know that those hymns that they would sing had meaning and they had heart? And I guarantee you there were times when the saints of God would be singing about heaven and singing about the cross, and tears would be just running down their cheeks. We need some of that today, brothers and sisters. 
When we sing the praises of God that our heart is actually touched and moved to tears or moved to shouting and rejoicing and gratitude and, and, and that affecting our emotional being. The problem is that we use up all of our emotions on something that's trivial and we have nothing left for the Lord. Modern Christianity doesn't cultivate givers. They come to church and they, they watch. I mean, everything's done on the platform. They don't have to do anything. In fact, modern contemporary Christianity is growing massive mega ministries because 90% of them can come whenever they want to. They won't be missed if they don't show up and nothing is expected of them. They can come and watch the show and they don't have to feel any pressure to give anything whatsoever. And that's very, very convenient. But I submit to you here this morning that if you are that mentality of Christian and you come to Temple Baptist Church for whatever it is that you can get, if that is your mentality, then I promise you that the only thing that you're going to get is what Temple Baptist has to offer you. And that ain't much. And in comparison to what God wants to give us, what man can give, what organized religion can give, is nothing greater than any social club that this world has to offer. And you know what? You can probably, I mean, as far as what is expected of God's people, you can probably go and pay your dues at the social club and get a whole lot more for your money without anything really being required of you. I'm not saying you should do that, but I'm saying if that is what's in your heart and you're just going through the motions because it's socially or family expects it, then that's all that you're going to get out of serving God and out of religion. So number one here this morning, I I want to show you here out of the scripture that everyone has something to give to the Lord and his work. Everyone has something to give to the Lord and his work. And notice how I phrased that, and that was carefully, intentionally worded, to the Lord and His work. This isn't a message from a preacher saying, hey, I want you to give more to this church. I want you to do more so that we don't have to do it all. That has nothing to do with it. This is about the Lord and His work. And I believe that this is His work. If I didn't believe that, then... Why would I waste my life and my time and my energy if God's not in this thing? Then I want to go find some place that God's in. Amen? And you ought to do the same thing. 2 Corinthians 8 and verse number 7. Look at this verse. We didn't read it in our opening text, but I want to, I want to show it to you because it's so important. Verse number 7 says, Therefore, as ye abound in everything, in faith and utterance, and knowledge, and in all diligence, and in your love to us, see that ye abound in this grace also. Now, Paul's talking about this grace also. In that context, he's talking about money. But notice that he's also saying all these other things that the Christians at Corinth, had that they were abounding in, that they had to give. Faith, 
utterance, knowledge. There's a whole lot more to it, more than we could even talk about here in one sermon, so much more than just giving money to the work of God. Look down at verse number 12. It says, For if there be first a willing mind, it is accepted according to that a man hath, and not according to that he hath not. You know what I see here is I see that God is not strapping us with debt and with guilt. You know, us preachers, fundamental, independent Baptists, Bible-believing Baptists, whatever you want to label us, uh, at many times we are guilty of um, of strapping people with burdens that God doesn't strap them to. I know missions conference sometimes can be a great time of rejoicing for some. It can be a great time of burden for others. I know it's just human nature. If you're struggling financially, who wants to go to missions conference when you know that every message is going to be gunning to try to get you to give more? And you're sitting there, it's like, I can't even pay my bills right now. And you're wanting me to give more. That's human nature. Human nature to resist that to view that as something that's an obligation rather than a blessing. God says right here that it's accepted according to that a man hath and not according to that he hath not. Do you know that God doesn't expect you to give what you don't have to give? Now that ought to encourage you. Now some of you, if your heart's not right with God, you're like, yes, (laughs) praise the Lord. I I get to keep my boat and then I can say, I just don't, I can't afford to do what the preacher's saying I should be doing for missions. I think that, I hope you see that sometimes it's all about our expected standard of living. And as I said a few weeks ago, we have a really good defense attorney living inside of us. Perry Mason quality that can I mean, he's learned or she's learned how to justify living the way that we want to live. And man, we can soothe our conscience and we can do away with that guilt. And we've got all of those arguments all laid out. And uh, all all you have to do is just confront them over that thing. And boy, you just pulled the string and out comes point number one, point number two, point number three. And then you offer objection. Well, what about this or what about that? Hey, that brings me to point number seven. Point number eight, they got it all worked out in their mind. And you know, if you have to work something out that much in your mind, I think probably we've missed something. God's not strapping us with debt, with guilt trips, nor is he producing a caste system among his children Listen, you may have something to give to God that I don't have to give. I may have something to give to God that you don't have to give. But God has blessed all of his children with something, and I guarantee you it's more than money. He's blessed you with time. He's blessed you with abilities. He's blessed you with a heart. And there is so many more needs than just money in the work of God. So many more needs for people to give. Be careful that you don't develop the false sense of security that if you give in one area, you are released of responsibility 
and other areas. Look at verse number 12 once again. For if there be first a willing mind, it is accepted according to that a man hath, and not according to that he hath not. Uh, Let's continue reading. Verse 13, For I mean not that other men be eased, and ye be burdened, but by an equality that now at this time your abundance may be a supply of their want, and that their abundance may also be a supply of your want, that there may be equality. As it is written, He that had gathered much had nothing over, and he that had gathered little had no lack. Verse 15 is a reference to the children of Israel out in the wilderness gathering manna every day. You know, it was an amazing thing. The children of Israel, every morning except for the Sabbath, except for Saturday morning, they would go out and that manna would be out there on the ground and they would go out and they would gather it. And they discovered that no matter how much they gathered, that manna was a supernatural provision And when they took it back into their tent or to their campfire and they started making bread out of it, however much they gathered, it ended up filling their bellies and it ended up being just enough. They didn't have anything left over, but they didn't have any lack. And it didn't matter how much that they gathered, one family would gather less, another family would gather more, but at the end of the day... Everybody was full, nobody was a glutton, and nobody was still hungry. God just met the need according to what it was, and everybody was a little bit different. And you know, it's the same way. God, the Holy Spirit, uses this example, this illustration, to help us to see that we need to be givers in more areas than just money because you may have money to give that another brother doesn't have to give. But there are other things that you have to give that others don't, and they have things to give that you don't have to give. And that's time, talents, treasures, serving, getting involved, praying, and all of the things that are important parts of the work of God. And so everyone has something to give. To you older saints, notice I said older, I didn't say old. To you older saints, you may not be able to do all that you used to do. And that's understandable. But retirement from God is not in the Bible. And so don't have this mentality that I can't do all that I used to do, so... I'm just not going to do anything. Listen, you can do something. Everybody can do something. And God still uh, desires it. Notice I said desires. I, I, I think that He expects it. But I don't want to focus on God expecting it because, once again, we're not trying to strap anyone with guilt or or debt or make you feel guilty. I'm trying to get you to see that God wants to bless you because God loves a cheerful giver. We don't have to feel guilty because we can't do all that we used to do, but we can rejoice that, hey, praise the Lord, I'm still able to do something. Hold your place here and go to the book of Exodus chapter 35. Exodus 35. Now, we're talking about how that how that uh, everyone has something to give to the Lord and His work. 
Now, the things that are needed in the New Testament church are different than the Old Testament saint and the children of Israel. And even though God uses them, they were written for our examples so that we can know some things about what God wants and desires of us. They're not exactly the same, but the principle certainly is the same. Exodus 35 and verse number 20, it says, And all the congregation of the children of Israel departed from the presence of Moses. Moses had just told them what God had told him that needed to be built, the tabernacle. And they came, everyone whose heart stirred him up, and everyone whom his spirit made willing, and they brought the Lord's offering to the work of the tabernacle of the congregation, and for all his service, and for the holy garments. And they came, both men and women, as many as were willing-hearted, and brought bracelets and earrings and rings and tablets and jewels of gold, and every man that offered, offered an offering of gold unto the Lord." And every man, watch this, with whom was found blue and purple and scarlet and fine linen and goat's hair and red skins uh, of rams and badger skins brought them. Everyone that did offer an offering of silver and brass brought the Lord's offering and every man with whom was found Shedem wood for any work of the service, they brought it. So we see here the same principle that it's accepted according to the, that a man hath and not according to the that he hath not. If you've got something or if God's given you an ability, then God desires you to use it to give it to the work of the Lord. Once again, we're not just talking about money. We're not just talking about stuff. We're talking about heart. We're talking about uh, the the utterance of our lips. Sometimes you feel, you feel like just staying to yourself. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand, but I guarantee you many of you would if I said, do you ever just feel like crawling in a hole? I don't want to talk to anybody. Or you come to church and it's just like, you know what? I just don't feel like talking to anyone. I guarantee you every single one of us feel the same way, myself including. Now, it's a rough day when you don't feel like talking to anyone and you have to get up in front of a hundred and some odd people and talk to them. But that happens every now and then. But as I've said many, many times that when we go ahead and give what we're supposed to give, we find that there's plenty of charge in the battery. Sometimes it feels like the battery's empty and there's a reserve there that you're not going to know it until you exercise faith and just turn the key, do what you're supposed to do, and you find that that is exactly what God wanted you to do in order to charge your faith battery. There are so many different things. Let's continue here where we're reading. Verse 25, And all the women that were wise-hearted did spin with their hands, and brought that which they had spun, both of blue and of purple and of scarlet and fine linen. All the women whose hearts stirred them up in wisdom spun goat's hair. And the rulers brought onyx stones and stones to be set for the ephod and for the breastplate and spice and oil. All different kinds of stuff, wouldn't you agree? We got stuff from the kitchen cabinet. We got stuff that uh, that have been mined out of... Uh, uh, out of the ground. We've got things that have come from animals and things that uh, that are just laying around that we planned on making 
a dress or a robe out of, but we've got it. Let's give it to the work of God. Verse 28 or 29, the children of Israel brought a willing offering unto the Lord. And every man and woman whose heart made them willing to bring for all manner of work, which the Lord had commanded to be made by the hand of Moses. Moses said unto the children of Israel, See, the Lord hath called by name Bezaliel, the son of Uri, the son of Hur, of the tribe of Judah. And he hath filled him with the Spirit of God in wisdom, in understanding, and in knowledge, and in all manner of workmanship, and to devise curious works, to work in gold and in silver and brass. And, you know, you would think that Bezaliel here has got this great business going on of making jewelry and making furnishings, and I guarantee you this guy... This guy could make some fabulous stuff. I've got a, I've got a carving in my office of David and Goliath carved of olive wood. And that was my father-in-law, Brother Runyon. And he got it when he was in Israel and it was carved by a world renowned carver over there in Palestine. And you look at that and you just think, wow, that thing. And I don't know how much that cost, but I guarantee you, even with the U.S. currency exchange in the Middle East, it probably cost Brother Runyon a pretty good penny. And, and I, I enjoy looking at it. It just, and when people come into my office, sometimes they, they see that. And it's just really an impressive work of art. And you know, Bezaliel, I guarantee you, whoever carved that, Bezaliel makes that guy look like a six-year-old out whittling a stick on the porch. That's what kind of workman that Bezaliel was. He was he was as good as they come. And I guarantee you, he could be making tons of money. We don't find that he said, well, I'm sorry, I've got too many orders here. Sorry, Moses. My, I mean, I'm just, I'm backlogged here. I got people that want me to do work for them, and there's just no way that it's going to be, it's going to be years before I'm ever going to get to it. And Moses probably said, well, with that kind of attitude, you're going to have about 40, 40 years because we're going to be wandering around in the wilderness 40 years because God's people won't believe God, won't trust Him. But Bezaliel didn't do that. It says here in verse 34, and he put, and he hath put in his heart that he may teach both he and Aholiab, the son of Ahissamach, of the tribe of Dan, excuse me, <clears throat> of the tribe of Dan, them hath he filled with wisdom of heart to work all manner of work of the engraver and of the cunning workman, of the embroider in blue and purple and scarlet and fine linen and weaver, even of them that do any work and of those that devise cunning work. And then in verse chapter 36, we won't read it, you find that they're doing the work. You got ladies over here spinning. You got Bezaliel teaching a holyab who also knows a few things, but he's not as good as a Aholiab. So they're all working together and they're making all of the furnishings of the tabernacle and the priestly garments and they're just doing a fabulous job. But in chapter 36, you find that Moses had to tell the people, don't bring any more stuff. We got more than we need. You know why that is? Because the people of God here, even though they were a stiff-necked people, even though they were prone to being disgruntled, they saw the purpose of God, they saw the work of God, and they saw that they had the privilege, and it is a privilege, folks, to be part 
of something that God was doing, and they took a break from their disgruntledness, and they exercised what all of God's people ought to exercise every day, and that is a willing heart and a ready mind, ready and willing to do from the heart uh, what God would have us to do, to give what God would have us to give. We see an example there in the children of Israel, just like what Paul is commending the Christians of Macedonia, how that they were willing of themselves and how that, listen, it is, it isn't about an obligation. It's not a guilt trip. It's about a willing heart that says, you know what? I want to, I want to be a giver and I want to give to God and I want to give to his work. Once again, we're not just talking about money. We're talking about being involved in whatever that there's a need for and that you may be able, you know, you may be able to fill needs that you don't even, you don't even think that you're able to. You know, we read there that out of their deep poverty that God blessed them and they became very liberal and we ought to have the same attitude toward anything. Listen, if you're willing, if you're willing to do something, I guarantee you God will equip you to do what he wants you to do. Now, I've known people that said, hey, I'm willing to, I'm willing to preach. And that's not what God equipped them to do. And that's okay. That's okay. It's just like when Paul said, we essayed to go to Bithynia, but the Spirit suffered us not. There's nothing wrong with wanting or being willing to do something for God and then finding out later that, hey, that's not exactly what God wants me to do. I think that it's a little bit different. But, you know, whatever God wants you to do, you may not have ever got to that point to figure it out if you hadn't have first been willing and said, I'm going to get out of my comfort zone and I'm going to be a giver rather than a taker. I'm going to be a giver rather than the self-sufficient one that just does my own thing. I'm going to be a giver to God and to His work. That brings us to the second point here this morning, and that is this, that God expects giving and He blesses giving. And I emphasize the second part of that, the blessing part rather than the expectation part. Do you know that the first use of the word worship Now, isn't worship the big buzzword among modern Christianity? Worship, worship, worship. I I, I saw a a card just the other day from a like-minded brother talking about their worship leader. And I thought, where did that come from? That came from the world. Listen, Brother Glenn is our music leader. He leads us in congregational singing. He is not our worship leader. You know, to be quite honest with you, I'm not even the worship leader. I'm just a pastor and a preacher. And what I do, the Bible talks about God seeking people to worship Him in spirit and in truth. Music plays a part of spirit and truth. The preaching of God's Word plays a part of spirit and truth. But worship goes way beyond that. The first use of the word worship in the Word of God had nothing to do with music. It had nothing to do with preaching. I'll tell you what it had to do with. It had to do with giving. Giving. Well, what was it, preacher? Well, I'll tell you. It was Abraham giving Isaac, offering Isaac to the Lord. 
And he said, me and the lad are going to worship. It was a giving. Listen, if worship is that important, then we need to realize that the first use of worship was all about a giving to God what God expects us to give. Now we know that God didn't, God told Abraham that he wanted him to give Isaac, but it was a test. It was a test of Abraham's faith. God didn't literally want Isaac to sacrifice his son. And you know, there's a, there's a good, there's a good lesson for us to learn from that. Do you know that God would never require any of us to do anything for him if it meant sacrificing our families, our children. I've noticed some great preachers. I could name them, but I won't, for just for sake of, of courtesy and charity here today, that literally taught that, hey, God called me to preach. I'm a man of God. And literally told his family and his children, hey, sorry, but I've got a great work to do. And uh, I love you, but I'm not going to be able to spend much time with you. I submit to you here this morning, that is not in accordance to the Word of God. At the same token, we need to recognize and realize that the family first movement is not necessarily of God either. I know that God established the family before He established the church. That is true. But I also know that God says that the church is the, the, the pillar and ground of the truth. It's the body of Christ. And so the priority of family and the priority of church ought not to be two separate entities. They ought to be interwoven together. Amen. I should hear an amen on that. Listen, there are times when you don't need to be going out soul winning. You need to be spending time with your family. There's other times when you need to tell your family no and say, hey, I've got something that I need to do for God. The only way you balance that priority is by doing what God wants you to do. And listen, I, I'm the first to admit that God doesn't just have little cookie cutters for all of our lives. I don't, I don't want you to be just like me. God help us. And I don't want to be just like you. God help me. We're all different. And we all have different things to give. And listen, priorities, if priorities are of God, then if you find your priorities constantly being a tug of war, then you got the wrong heart about it. This isn't a checkbox and a checklist. This is about giving, giving God your heart. And when God gets all of us, then managing those priorities become amazingly simple. You know, I got right with the Lord some 36 years ago. I have not had to struggle about, and this is before I ever became a pastor or a staff member of a church, before I ever became a Sunday school teacher. I was at church every time there was church. And you know why that was? I never had to struggle. Let's see, am I going to church today or should I go to church or should I spend time with my family. No, I, I surrendered my life to the Lord. And I knew that that's a priority. Listen, if you're gonna, if you're gonna put your family first, then wouldn't you agree that they, your family also needs to see that God comes first. If your children, if, if you raise your children and they think that, well, there's times that God, my parents put 
me before going to church. Do you understand what that's instilling in those children? I'm not saying that your children are going to end up messed up. They may or may not, but I guarantee you, as far as their usefulness for the Lord in the long term and the big picture, you're crippling them spiritually when it comes to this principle of being givers rather than takers. And it's very likely that we're suffering suffering in this modern era of Christianity because of the this very truth. God expects giving, and He blesses giving. Acceptance is unconditional. I love this passage of Scripture, Ephesians 1, verse 6 through 7, says, "...to the praise of the glory of His grace, wherein He hath made us accepted in the Beloved, in whom we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of His grace." We are accepted in the Beloved, and it is not conditional upon our performance. It is conditional upon the blood of Jesus Christ, His Son." I thank God that, uh, listen, you can reject me uh, all day long, you can reject me silently, you can reject me verbally, but when the end of the day comes, I don't have to be, I don't have to toss and turn and worry about you not liking me or you not accepting me because I've got the creator of the universe that says, Randy Mitchell, you're accepted in the Beloved. You know, when you think about that, that accepted in the beloved, that's not just that God puts up with me. That's that God accepts me. He He wants me. I'm in that beloved group and He wants me to be there. It's not just like, oh no, that Randy Mitchell guy is praying again. I, I got to listen to him. No, what Jesus did on the cross of Calvary made me, he propitiated me, and now God looks at Randy Mitchell, not not the way that I am, not the way that I was, but the way that Jesus is. And I don't know about you, but that's a huge blessing. So acceptance is unconditional, but we got to balance this out with the whole counsel of God. Blessings are often conditional. Now, it's still grace. Even, Even the conditional blessings... Listen, we never, ever can do anything to earn or deserve anything from God. It's always grace. On your best day of performing for the Lord, I don't mean like acting performing. I'm talking about doing what you're supposed to do, being diligent, being faithful, being dependable, serving the Lord on your very best day. You didn't deserve any blessings of God. So it's always grace. And then there are times that uh, even even in um, in man's economy, uh, God will still bless you when you are far from deserving anything. On your worst day spiritually, where you're, let's just say, you're being a total loser in God's eyes. Do you know that sometimes God will just bless you even though you're being a total loser? He has me, and maybe... I hope he does you, but I know he has me. It's like, wow, God just blessed me. And man, I am, I am being, I've been being a total loser. 
And, and you know what? Sometimes that blessing of God, does the Bible not say that the goodness of God leadeth thee to repentance? Sometimes God uses blessings to melt our heart and us to see that how good He is, and then we stop being a loser and we at least start holding up our piece of the sky, um, so to speak. 2 Corinthians 9, verse number 7 says, Every man according as he purposeth in his heart, so let him give, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loveth a cheerful giver. God doesn't want us to do it grudgingly. Uh, his blessings here are conditional. He said he loveth a cheerful giver. That means that we've got some added blessings when we do the right thing, the right way, and with the right heart. You know, you can do the right thing the right way, and you can do it grudgingly. But when we do it willingly with the right heart, that puts a smile on God's face, and it says He loves the cheerful giver. That's conditional, folks. This modern concept of grace is not biblical. Listen, corrupt human nature wants to live life without pressure, without responsibility. And, and I admit that modern Christianity and that mentality is sometimes it's a reaction to the crack the whip mentality that's been common in modern fundamentalism. I understand that. There, there have been many ministries that it's cracked the whip. Man, you gotta serve God. You know, you, 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 you better not ever take a vacation. You better not do anything fun with your family. You better never go fishing. You better never go hunting. You better not ever go golfing. Heresy. Right, brother David? The crack the whip mentality was not biblical either. And much of this modern contemporary view of Christianity is like we're breaking free from that. And they classify it all as Phariseeism. And it may or it may not be. You can't lump it all together. Just like the modern contemporary crowd, you can't always lump it all together and assign motives to everyone's uh, viewpoint of serving God. But I also say that a lot of what we're seeing today is nothing more than an appeasement to selfish, lazy human nature. I, I, I don't want it. I'm not going to get involved. I don't want to do anything that I don't want to do. And some of it's just plain old selfishness and laziness, people who are takers or self-sufficient and would never, ever be classified as givers in the work of God. If nothing, please get this point, if nothing were conditional in the Christian life, then pray tell what is the purpose of the judgment seat of Christ. If God's going to judge us based on our works and hand out rewards or we're going to suffer loss, if nothing is conditional in the Christian life, then that makes the judgment seat of Christ a total farce. What, what, what do we think? That God's just throwing that in there to try to manipulate us, but He doesn't really mean it? Absolutely not. There is a judgment seat of Christ. And so therefore, the blessings of God um, are, uh, not always, but are, generally speaking, they're very conditional. 
2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 17. Wherefore, come out from among them, and be ye separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you, and will be a father unto you, and ye shall be my sons and daughters, saith the Lord Almighty. You know, that's a very conditional thing. You want God to treat you like a close son or daughter, then God says, I want you to come out from among them and be separate. I, I, don't, I want you to live clean. You know, this modern Christianity, and, and I don't mean to keep referring to that, but it is such a contrast to what the Bible teaches. Much of it is, I want a God that accepts me, and I want to live the way that I want to live with no pressure, no expectation, and God still love me just perfectly, and everything be wonderful between me and the Lord. Listen, that is human nature creating a God after our own image rather than us trying to live in the image of God because it's certainly not the God of the Bible. My last point, number three, and I promise you I'm almost done here this morning. Number three, giving and growing go together. Giving and growing go together. God loveth a cheerful giver. Listen, you've heard it before and it bears repeating. You can give without loving. You can. Anyone can give without loving. In fact, 1 Corinthians 13.3, Paul says, And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned and have not charity, it profiteth me nothing. Listen, you can give without loving. Why would someone bestow all of their goods? Why would someone give their body to be burned and not have charity? Well, probably because a guilt trip. Maybe because some kind of carrot that's been hung out in front of them and they're just responding to it and trying to, they're trying to be better than other people. Who knows? There's all kinds of, uh, of carnal reasons why someone can give without loving. But the fact still remains that you cannot love without giving. You can't love without giving. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Listen, the value of the gift is an indicator of the degree of love. Wouldn't you agree with me? God really must love the world. Because what did he give? He gave the Lord Jesus Christ. There's no greater gift of of greater value than what God gave to this sinful world. In Philippians 1, verse number 9, And this I pray, that your love may abound yet more and more in knowledge and in all judgment. 1 Thessalonians 3.12, And the Lord make you to increase and abound in love one toward another and toward all men, even as we do toward you. That is what God wants all of us to do. He wants us to increase and abound in our love to Him and in our love toward one another. And if you love, it's easy to give. It's easy to give. What would what would someone think if, if if they walked up to you and said, "Are you married?" And you said, "I'm trying to be." No, you'd say, "Yeah, yeah. Let me show you my wife. Isn't she beautiful? Yeah, I love her so much." When you love someone, 
It's easy to give. It's easy to serve. It's easy to be unselfish. And it's the same way. We ought to love the Lord and we ought to love one another. And and Paul's praying that as Christians that that love would abound yet more and more. And the more that we grow in that love, then the more that we're going to give. I'm thinking of a brother from years gone by who who made the accusation he said i'm just not i'm not growing in in this church and 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 i started asking the questions well we'll explain what you mean by that and everything that he had to say was all about external things of the christian life issues of separation and apparel and not going and doing this. It was all issues of outward sanctification. I'm not minimizing outward sanctification. But listen, the Christian life is far more than just the outward sanctification. The Pharisees were outwardly sanctified. But the problem was, is they had no love in their heart. And Jesus recognized that. Listen, our outward sanctification should be the result of our inward sanctification. Listen, I don't go to this because I love the Lord and I love His people and I wouldn't want to be a stumbling block. It's not the attitude that, well, what's wrong with them? Why do, why do they do that? I'm, I'm not going to have my child in their Sunday school class. You see the difference, folks? And, and people like that, they don't grow in their love toward fellow believers. They just do their own thing. They don't have to give, they may put, plop money in the offering plate. They may participate in a ministry, but they never give of themselves and of their heart. They just do everything their way. That's not the way that God wants us to be. And the more that you love, the more that you'll give. In conclusion, the key to all giving, it's not having more, by the way. I would give more if I had more to give. If I had more time, I'd give more time. If I had more money, I'd give more money. Listen, if that's your attitude, you're never going to grow in your loving and your giving. It's not about having more. It's about, it's not about God getting, um, uh, uh, I lost track what I was trying to say. Second Corinthians chapter eight and verse number five. And this they did, not as we hoped, but first gave their own selves to the Lord and unto us by the will of God. You know, that just sounds to me like a bunch of people giving themselves to the Lord. And when they all gave themselves to the Lord, if the will of God was for them to work together, Paul says they gave themselves to the Lord and unto us. We're all on the same page here. And it was a willing heart and it was out of love, not out of duty, not out of obligation, obligation, but out of Love for the Lord. The sooner we realize that everything we are and everything we have belongs to God, the better off that we'll be. 
you know, I, I agree that tithing, while it's a good standard and principle, it is Old Testament. It is under the law. You know, people think, well, I, I got to give 10% or of my time, I just need to go to church on Sunday morning or maybe Sunday night every now and then. And if you view your life that I've just got to give God his portion, then you're not getting it. You're not getting it. They first gave themselves to the Lord. The sooner we realize that all of it, 100% of it belongs to the Lord. We don't ask the Lord, how much do you want me to give? We ask the Lord, how much do you want me to keep for myself? You know, God says, I want you to give me everything. And some of you are like, wow, I can't do that. That's too much. God's unreasonable. You're missing the point once again. God is able to make all grace abound. You give and God turns around and gives. Listen, if you give God the leftovers, God will still bless you. But if you keep the leftovers... You give God everything and you take God's leftovers. I got good news for you. If that's in your heart, God's leftovers are a hundred times better than your first serving. And you know it's true, and I know it's true, but what, uh, what hinders us? Listen, folks, we have some much better things than the Old Testament saints had that were required to give a tenth. We have the indwelling Holy Spirit. We have eternal security. We have 24-7 access to God. We don't have to go to a high priest or a tabernacle. We don't have to bring a sacrificial lamb. We have none of those things that we have to do. We've got it all in Jesus Christ. Everything that Jesus is and has, we have it as believers. Amen? 1 Corinthians 6, verse number 19. What? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which ye have of God, and ye are not your own? For ye are bought with a price, therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. Now this concept is not very pleasing to the person that their salvation was basically, yeah, I'll, I'll do that, I'll go forward, I'll pray that prayer so that I can get my free ticket to heaven and not go to hell. Listen, if that's all that you did and there wasn't that work of conviction and repentance, listen, when you get under conviction and you really, you don't just mentally ascend to it, but you know in your heart of hearts, I deserve to go to hell. I need rescued. I need saved from my sin. I need saved from myself. When you feel that burden of sin and that conviction of the Holy Spirit, and then God comes along and saves you, and you thought your, you thought your life was hopeless, and God gives you hope, boy, that transformation comes in. And when that happens, you don't mind the Lord saying, you're bought with a price, you're mine, because you, you recognize the difference that, hey, I was on my way to hell, and God saved me and rescued me. I, I would say that He owns me. I would say, I'm, I'm willing to give you everything, Lord, because you rescued me from my sin and from hell. That's a pretty good exchange, Amen. 
But the believer, professing believer that says, yeah, I don't know about this, giving my all. I, I, I kind of like my checklist and kind of, you know, figuring out how much that God gets of my time, my talents, my treasure, and then I'll just keep the rest for myself. Um, I don't know. Maybe you need to kind of do a, do a self-examination that your heart's ever really been to that place of repentance and regeneration. Listen, folks, God is not a taskmaster like the Egyptians. He's not a guilt trip like our adversary, the devil. But he is our Lord and creator, and he desires to bless us and get glory and honor from our life. He doesn't expect you to give and do like others. If you have that kind of attitude, then you'll always feel like you're in debt. Listen, the debt's been paid. The debt's been paid. The Christian life is not about... Uh, you know, uh, if I don't get a debt, then the, then the collector's coming. No. We have a debt, but it's a debt of love. And it's a debt that was paid for. It's a debt of gratitude, not a debt of duty. So, love, give, and grow. Don't stop. Second Corinthians 9-8, And God is able to make all grace abound toward you, that ye always, having all sufficiency in all things, may abound to every good work. As I've already said, God's leftovers are a hundred times more than our first. Verse 19, thanks be unto God for His unspeakable gift. You know, he's talking about Jesus Christ right there. Thanks be unto God for His unspeakable gift. We can speak about it. But we never can do it justice, and I think that's what Paul meant. God loves a cheerful giver. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, thank you for the Word of God. Thank you for all that you've given us. I pray, Father, that you would help us to be the givers that uh, you would have us to be, not to compare ourselves with one another, not out of guilt and duty, but, Lord, out of love. Help this love to grow And help us to have that mentality of being givers to you and to your work. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Give you a few minutes here as you remain seated and pianist plays. If you'd like to talk to God or come forward to the altar, then now would be a great time to do that. We'll just have the invitation for a few minutes here, but talk to the Lord and ask Him to help you with your giving, not just money. That may be part of it, but it might be your time as the pianist plays.
Amen. Let's all stand to our feet and we'll be dismissed. Uh, appreciate you being here this morning. Appreciate all of our live stream listeners as well. Uh, join us tonight at 6 o'clock. Don't forget the kids choir at 530. And so hope you have a good afternoon. Enjoy your nap and let's meet back here for some Bible preaching and teaching uh, here tonight. Brother Mac Holbrook, I'd like to ask you if you would close us in prayer. And uh, when he's finished praying, then you are dismissed. God bless you all.